Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. In this episode, we recap on what we learned in the last season on advanced tools and techniques to network and land jobs in the design industry. This episode is about our next knowledge quest. We know that design and product as a core business function is valuable. So we're not going to beat a dead horse, or I think actually what I heard it was feed a fed horse is the actual saying on evangelizing the value of design. We know it's valuable. There's reports by McKinsey and other reputable research agencies on how valuable product design is to the business. We are more interested in how you, as an individual contributor, can provide that value. We cover some key insights on crushing the design interview process in this episode, uh, share some opinions about design frameworks, when they are useful and when they are an issue to the design process, and the mindset of valuable product designers. Enjoy. All right, season two, Pivot Podcaster. Uh, new name to be determined. Whatever we're going to call it. Yeah, whatever we're going to call it. It's just me and Cam right now, but yeah, we're getting back on the wagon. A lot's happened in the last few months. So I started a job as a product designer at Progressive Leasing. I've been there since March. And uh, Cam, what have you been doing the last few months? I've been all over the place, doing a lot of freelance work and internships on the side. Just been super busy. Yeah, you're extremely desirable in the market. <laughs> Was it sure, sure Audio? And now you're at the Rally Interactive as a freelancer. 
um, working on a lot of uh, freelance projects. So kind of multiple projects. A lot's happened. I think it's been like six or eight months since our last episode that we've released. But between between everything, we we have learned a lot. Um, just going full time into the workforce right now. Uh, the last season that we did was very focused on. It was focused a lot on getting a job in the industry, getting your foot in the door. Yeah. I mean, we did have some like fun episodes with Michael Green and, and Margaret from Google and just talking about voice design and stuff. Um, just doing things that just talking with people that interest us, but really like the main focus was like, Hey, how do we find our voice in design? And, you know, we don't have to have all the answers, but we, we developed like a really good hypothesis on like how to do that. Uh, Cam, what is having a voice in your career mean? Well, I will say that my opinion has changed. So I think you mentioned this in a LinkedIn post or something like that about reading our previous articles that we've written or things that we once thought. And it's just funny thinking back on how many things I probably disagree with myself on. Yeah. But to answer your questions, what is finding your voice? Yeah, because I, we, we like went on this like quest to figure out like, okay, well, we have this hypothesis that having kind of like your own personal style is what's going to set you apart as a, a perspective designer. It's not really your work or your portfolio. It, it's your reputation in the community. Yeah, we built off the idea of like that you yourself is what gets you the job and your relationships with other people and your portfolio is only like a asset, an asset or an aspect. Yeah, that, exactly. Right? The, the main thing that I found was that your network is your portfolio, like it, your relationships, because it's the people that know you and they know how you work and how you think that leads to them wanting to interview you in the first place. If not, you're just a commodity designer. You're just a number in the amount of designers that they're interviewing, right? But you mentioned that you disagree with that conclusion. Expand. I, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I do think networking is important. I think I still agree with that and building strong relationships with people and you know, them vetting you because of they've seen how you work and what you do, and that can be a better analysis of who you are as a designer than, you know, looking at a website or some PDF that you send to somebody, right? So that I still agree with, but I would say that a portfolio still has a very, very important place in that process. And I think you need them both. And, and I also would caveat it with, depends on what you're doing if you're and that's and that's going with my experience with freelance i think in a freelance situation your portfolio is actually really important in in getting clients and working with other people to assess what you produce right but then maybe in-house positions or maybe even an agency i've noticed that it is kind of a little bit more based off of who you know because they've already seen what you do so I would say portfolio, it depends. I guess that's where I'm changing my, depends on what work you're doing. Yeah. I talked with Ben Peck at the front workshop uh, series 
and uh, we kind of came to a similar conclusion because I was like saying like, hey, we just found out that really it's it's uh, being involved in the community and providing value and developing these relationships that are is going to lead to a very prosperous career path. And I'm um, like, which was really good because I, was, I thought to advance my career, I had to post a shot on Dribble every day or like do a hundred day UI design challenge. And he's like, yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're a freelancer, that's really good that you do that because you, you need like a kind of a diverse body of work. But if I would say like freelancer, I think that that, that's like an interesting topic. I want to like dive into a little bit about like the different types of product designers and roles. Right. Because I think we're finding out that, um, there's different types of design jobs. Well, not just even jobs as far as what your role or title is jobs, but like the actual work that you're doing, because you could be a freelance designer working on a design system inside of a embedded inside of a company. Right. Or you could be a designer who's only doing maybe illustration work or, you know, tra- traditional graphic design work or things like that. So I really think context here it depends on what you're working on. If you're if you're in a uh, startup, that's very different than an established team and what features they're building or whatever, right? And so that like just doing freelance, I've had the opportunity to embed myself into different companies and see their different processes and how their teams work, and just talking with other designers, and it really kind of opened my eyes to like everyone <laughs> is kind of doing stuff differently, eh? And B, it really depends on what you're working on. So if you're like looking for a job, that's why I think your portfolio is important because it's what you want to do. Like if you want to be a product designer whose focus is mostly on the research part of something or, you know, our job titles and roles are all over the place anyway. And so that's why I'm trying to maybe get back to this thing where it's the work that you do and the work that you want to do rather than like what the role of a product designer is because the role of a product designer is many, many things. Or can be, depending on who you're working with, what organization, what team you're on, down to if you're a freelance designer or not. Like, what I do for freelance is probably very different than what someone else does for freelance. And what you do in-house is probably very different from someone else on your team and what projects you're working on, right? So I don't know, I've been trying to reassess that kind of question like what is a portfolio you know maybe it's more if i was like say advice it's more a culmination of the the type of work that you want to do that highlights those types of skills that you are showcasing and then the relationship part comes in where if you want to work at a certain company or a certain project or whatever then that relationship is what builds trust or, you know, your reliability. And so that's how you can get your foot in the door, but your portfolio is kind of what solidifies that connection. Yeah. And all that stuff that you just said, like uh, body of work, specific work, not just any kind of like, you know, generic UX case studies. Yeah. That's the difference is it's yeah. specific work. So if you wanted to be an illustrator, then obviously you're going to go on Dribble and post a bunch of illustrations. If you want to be a product designer who's thinking about product strategy, then you better put on your portfolio 
projects or products that showcase product strategy. Kind of an implied specialization in your portfolio, that plus your relationships. And if you want to be like a math snob, relationships like uh, to the X power, you know, depending on like how, because, you know, it's like the network effect, yeah. kind of like how, how big is your network equals voice? Maybe, I don't know. Obviously, we're still exploring this idea, but to kind of go back, I, I do think from previous podcasts and previous like months, we did learn that relationships are important. They build credibility and trust in getting your foot in the door, right? And then finding a job. And now I think that we're in the jobs. Now we're kind of exploring what's the next thing. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, when you're just getting started out, it's just any job. Just get me anywhere. You and I were a little bit more lucky because we leveraged relationships to get into our first jobs where we're like, these are pretty cool first jobs. But, you know, a lot of people have a pretty crappy first experience because it's a lot of, uh, if you have like a very generic UX portfolio and your network isn't that robust, you're just going to get any job and it's, it's, it's almost like gambling like the the work you're going to find i think kind of nailing down your understanding of the risks that are involved with just working with any company and un, uh, and understanding what kind of work you want to do really comes down to having those real relationships so when we talk about relationships we're not talking about you know hitting someone up on linkedin and saying like oh do you have like a do you have an internship or you know kind of having like the needy, hungry designer persona, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with being hungry, but needy and hungry, not exactly a good mix, you know, um, but actually like providing value in the community, you know, providing companies opportunities to get to know, uh, like what we did with the, the UX club at UBU was we started creating, you know, the UX expeditions where we would go to like San Francisco, New York and meet companies and stuff and provide opportunities to like network that way. And kind of the, the students that are, uh, were after us, the other cohorts after us were really awesome. They, they started doing like kind of mini like company visits just in the local area. And I know of one, one of our former classmates that just got a internship at Domo and I could totally, I know that based off the relationships we've developed. Uh, you know, Dylan Winspear and then like their, the work that uh, she did to, you know, have like a networking events where, you know, the, her and some students would go to Domo and, you know, present ideas or do workshops and stuff with the designers, uh, kind of built that rapport that she needed to get that internship. I mean, I'm making a huge assumption here from the outside, but I've seen the work that she's done with Domo like for the last year. And I'm pretty sure that the relationship really helped, but it's because she was providing value. I think UBU students right now, I think are kind of like the go-to volunteers for UX Strat for those conferences, you know, so we're looking to provide value like, Hey, we'll be free labor at your conferences. Same thing for front UBU students. Uh, You could do that at a personal level as well. You know, Cam and I definitely do it with the podcast, meeting with people and networking, but it's just really about providing value making their day better after they've talked to you. That's, that's a relationship. I had a, an experience with someone that they uh, liked one of my articles yeah. and they, uh, and they said, 
oh, I really liked your article. I'm like, okay, which part? And it wasn't like I was trying to be pretentious and like, oh, like testing him. I just was, I was, I was open to having a f- interesting conversation about the article because that's what it's for is to disseminate ideas and inspire people and start conversations. And what happened was that this person looked at my LinkedIn. So I saw him looking at my LinkedIn. So I know that they navigated back to my article, opened it, read it, and then said, oh, I like this part. And I was being super cooperative. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like that point, like I was really thinking about it for a long time and this is how the idea developed. And I set it up for him to just keep talking to me, you know? You really want to have like those like riffs, you know, when you're talking to people, like actual like full threads where you're just having a conversation about an idea. That's where you really build like the rapport and the relationships. And that this person didn't respond back to me. And so it was just kind of like a checklist interaction, like, hey, really liked your article, liked your conference talk, boom. And then like when you want to give imply that they need to require more time to like, you know, actually build off like their interest, you know, then they don't commit and then they don't commit to the relationship. They just want to be on your radar so that you can have some, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, you say that I think it applies to interviewing too. And that's something I think that we all dislike about interviewing is it's literally (laughs) practicing a checkoff list. You don't really know the person you're, you're looking at a piece of paper and it's, it's just this weird exchange, you know? And so I think going back to providing value or the relationship part, that's, that's what networking is. It's the part to get you past that kind of bogus interview, essentially, right? Yeah. It's, it's to get you past the, 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 well, I'm going to look at this piece of paper and try and assess the risks of hiring this person. And then you going and w- either wasting your time or not to go do an interview, that whole like process to me, i maybe I, I could be wrong. This is opinion stated that could change, but I think it's kind of bogus. And I think that's where like the value of relationships come in is that you can kind of bypass that. Yeah. In a way, I think, I think the quicker you break the format of an interview, like a job interview and you, you, and you turn it into a riff as soon as possible. I was actually just talking to a friend who was just getting back into the game and I don't know why he asked me like for advice. Cause I, I've hardly really, I mean, I've interviewed, but like, I, you know, I haven't been like interviewing a lot, but I, I think it's cause I've definitely amassed like this kind of wealth of knowledge by kind of bringing in these like ad hoc mentors through, through the podcast. But, you know, we learned a lot about the hiring process. So he asked me, he's like, Hey, like I'm on the third interview. It's with the director. Like, what do, what do I do? And uh, I need to talk about projects or something like that. And I just, the idea just came to me and it's kind of interesting. It just happened today. And I just said, I think you want, like if you're at the third interview, like we've already, you know, we learned about this with uh, the canopy guys, you know, Patrick and uh, Andy, that if you're at the third interview, like they've already assessed that you're good enough for the job. Now they're assessing fit, but here's what's going to go down. You want to get to like your metric for success in that interview is getting into a riffing mode as soon as possible. Riffing meaning that you're you're losing track of time and you're talking about ideas and you're riffing back and forth and you're getting excited. It's a good podcast episode. And I think everyone knows what a good podcast episode sounds like and what a bad one sounds like. You know, the bad one is you have like a list of questions, you ask them and then the person doesn't riff back to you. They just answer the question and they're like, next question. That's mo- And that's most job interviews. Most designers are boring. The reason that directors have those pre-built questions, why there's blog posts about most commonly asked interview questions 
in UX design interviews is because they need to have something to ask the candidate because most candidates are boring, you know, and that's only why so few people get hired is because the interesting ones get hired. But you want to get to the point where you are breaking the format of that traditional UX interview as soon as possible. And that's by getting into a, a position where you're building a relationship. So, you know, for example, you could be inter being interview interviewing with a bank and you, they might be asking you questions about product and stuff, but then you kind of turn around on them and say, Hey, well, I noticed that Google's making their own like checking account. Like, what do you, what are you guys doing to work against that, you know, or to, or work with that, you know, like what, what, what's your thoughts about it? And you flip it to interview them. Yeah. And then you just let it go down that road. I think something to try and translate here is like, I noticed you even listen to old podcasts or you listen to anyone. It doesn't matter. Like we don't know everything. We don't know anything really, but like it's, it's cutting past the bullshit. <laughs> like it's like all I can think about it is like the moment you can stop formulaic conversations or formulaic processes and how you get a job or whatever, and just get real. Once you break that barrier and you establish that relationship, I think that's what we're trying to get. Cause we, we kind of established that, you know, that your relationship builds your credibility and therefore you're trustworthy and you can count on the person to do good design. You don't have to worry about this stuff. And then you get to that last interview, like you just, you know, told the story and then it becomes about fitting into the team. It becomes about culture fit or team fit or whatever. And it's more just like, you're going to work with these people eight hours a day, right? So get real. And you show that you thought about the problem space you're interviewing for. You have an opportunity to demonstrate your value as a designer, like where you could fit in their organization. Right. I think that's what gets people excited to work with you. And, you know, like, I'm not going to like, I'm going to do a flex cam, but you know, he has, he has a good reputation for the type of value he adds in a way that you're, you're kind of, if you're just authentic and you're just, you know, investing time and having an authentic conversation, asking questions and not trying to cover all the material, they don't need to know like how you value user research. Like that's a trap question. And it's one of those like formulaic ones. Uh, so for example, Cam and I, we did first, our first few, few episodes of the podcast. We always came up with like a list of questions that we were going to give. And I think we might've had an argument about it because like, we felt like whenever we rushed, like the podcast felt rushed or the interview felt rushed is because we we're trying to get through all the questions wrote down because we felt like we need to cover the material, but that's not a relationship. A relationship is you could cover it tomorrow because you have their phone number. Like you could do a follow-up podcast episode if you didn't cover everything, you know, you always do a part two, but you can only do that with people that you have a relationship with. But if you're only going to do one podcast episode, you're going to try to extract as much value from that person by asking them all these questions. I mean, there are guests that are like, okay, send us some questions. But I think now, like, we don't, we don't intend on going over all of them. They're just prompts, you know, just things that the, our guests could think about. But then we just, we try to riff as soon as possible right. in the podcast and then just kind of see where it goes, you know? I think that applies to work processes as well. And like I mentioned earlier, having embedded myself in different, companies and each one has a different process they're doing a different methodology everyone's trying you know to do something and that's where i learned like i, th I can't remember who said this but people over process kind of thing what that means to me is anytime whether we're designing a product a feature our portfolio we're working on a relationship or a job interview it's 
cutting past the formulaic mechanical things, use them as guidelines. That's why we have processes is to get us into a direction, you know, and, and meet certain standards and things like that. But the moment you focus on the mechanical or the process over the person or the work that you're actually doing. I don't know if this is coming out right, but basically what I'm getting at is cut past all this checkbox type stuff and formulaic mechanical conversations. It's not saying just abandon them and go willy nilly. That's why we have methodologies and processes. And that's why you apply certain tips and stuff to job interviews or portfolios or whatever. You're right. It's just, there, there is value in frameworks. I like personally, I'm not a big fan of design sprints. I think a lot of the problems that design sprints solve are because of a lack of just good product design practitioners. Like we're trying to evangelize the, our value. Like that's like design sprint 1.0, like the book. I feel like the whole design of the design sprint was to show, Hey, look how valuable design is. Ooh, you know, we could do it in a week, and, which isn't the case. You know, it, and sometimes it turns into let's all fail together mentality because we affinity mapped it, you know, but. Uh, Design Sprint 2.0 is kind of getting a little more progressive. It's like more about embedding into a product team using a process where a product team could ideate and it allows them to have this framework and structure to align on a problem. But they're not saying, oh, we have a solution in in X amount of days. It's we have a very well thought out direction we're going to go, but there's still work to do, you know, but so they always talk on the Design Sprint website like, oh, like reasons to do design sprint one you always have done the research contextually before the sprint you don't do a sprint without any like background research you know to frame the sprint and then the other one is oh if your project's stuck like you don't have alignment if your project need like it's a new project and you want to you know slingshot it um and i forgot the other ones but i mean a lot but it, it's implying that the sprint involved is there to un- get people unstuck into a slingshot something like that's brand new with the context of research i honestly think like you don't need a sprint to do that you just need to be a better practitioner if you're just good at communicating your ideas and creating alignment on the fly like on the go that could provide a lot of value not saying that there's no value in sprints you know i think some designers need it you know personally i i'm not a big fan it doesn't really work with my workflow and being an in-house designer you know talking about the the work i like doing is being an embedded in-house designer and I plan on being somewhere for like four to five years to actually build like a product at scale. Cause that's like my big opinion right now is that you can't build something that creates massive economic value in one year or two years, maybe three years, but I think like four to five years is where I'm starting to notice that people like are providing real value as a designer. Like you, you, that takes about five years to work out all the, all the unhappy paths, all the bad experiences, you know, all the small stuff that you can't pull off in an agency in a six month contract, you know, like you have to be embedded on a problem for a long time. And I've just have not seen like the value of speed because like doing things fast and lean in a big company with like a bigger design team doesn't make things go faster. Yeah. I, sorry. I want to interject here. So like the thing that I find funny about the industry that I've learned quickly in my youth <laughs> in my young designer age is, I don't know, maybe I'm, I could be wrong and I might change my opinion. I'm cool changing my opinion. That's something I've learned. That's great. But the design industry 
and almost all industries are just they're so hung up on the technicalities of things sometimes, which is good when you implement them. And I don't know if that's going to come out right, but like something I've noticed that's just kind of funny is if you apply a methodology, okay, we're going to do agile now or whatever, right? People focus on what words are and not what the methodology was there in the first place why it was why it was created right and so like you run into this thing where you mentioned like sprints or oh we can do work faster that's not what agile and sprints mean necessarily right i don't know if i'm just catalyzing this correctly but it's just i feel like sometimes we when we're reading a blog about how to make our portfolio better or we're, what processes we're using and i'm still riffing on this idea but i feel like a lot of times we get lost in the words and we translate those to mean something that they don't. Yeah. And so that, and, and that causes people to like say, well, we're doing sprints and we're working faster, but then all of a sudden your product is not actually solving the problems because you're focusing on the wrong things. I think it's, you know, really just putting it in its place as like a tool. What I didn't like about sprints was that I really felt like it was just a way to be like, hey, look, executives, we could do stuff fast. You know, you always complain about us being slow. But really, like that time you take in discovery, working out like every edge case, because I, I think like always at the end of a sprint, you just come out with like a happy path solution, which you, like you still don't know if it's like the right way to go down. You know, you might have like some, that's why it's important to have research before a sprint, you know, but, you know, the, the whole agile example, people are thinking that it means building widgets faster. But from what I understand from agile, it's about making quicker feedback loops to course correct faster. Mm. So realizing that you're wrong faster and then adjusting every two weeks towards a goal. But it's not about like widget making velocity. It's about making good quality, well-crafted software, right? right? Yeah. I think we're really getting to a point where being a good practitioner of something is intentionality. I think being uh, a good practitioner of networking is being willing to invest in the relationship and taking time to meet people. But it, it it's bringing intentionality to your life and just kind of having the mindset that the people you know are assets. They're people that could bring you opportunities, but you're also an asset to them as well that you could bring them opportunities. And it's, uh, you know, rising tide, you know, lifts all ships. You know, it's we're creating opportunities for each other. And then when you actually are in a career and job, you're creating opportunities for your product partners and your development partners to win, you know, and like the work that you do, like you need to invest in your relationships with uh, your, you know, your, your, your triad, you know, your product manager, your tech lead, your developers, you know, invest in learning more about what their motivations are and stuff and learn where you could provide value to them. And because like networking never stops, you know, you're just, you're, you're really just investing in relationships and being intentional and stuff. Um, And the same thing for sprints, you know, if you, if you want to do a sprint, you know, don't lean on the framework to solve your problems. Like you can't just put an idea through a sprint and it's going to come up with like a multi-billion dollar solution. I think it's just, it's a way to refine ideas and align. It's a great technique. I mean, I have to plan one for work right now, but you know, I think the, the, the equivalent of the sprint is like the 10, 10 UX questions asked in every job interview, you know, and like you're using that framework. And I think the sooner that you can synthesize like your own framework based off what you, who you are as a designer and what you want, 
you're going to be a lot happier because you're going to be less formulaic in your interactions with people. And, you know, run need a whole podcast season to really unpackage that. But that's not what we do here at the Pivot Podcast. It doesn't come synthesized to you. Like, this is the synthesis happening right now. Yeah. You know, in the past, we were learning what it takes to get our foot in the door. And, you know, we talked a lot about interviewing portfolios and stuff. And that's just kind of a takeaway for me is all that's important. You need to do it. It's just like a degree or not a degree, boot camp, whatever. Like we went through that a little bit too, right? Well, I have a degree, so therefore I should be a good designer. No, not true. Well, I, I did all these checklist things off of a sprint or a blog post I read about job interviews. Cool. That's good to do those, but it's not the magic that makes you good. If you're a successful person, you're good at looking at opportunities and making things work. You know, you see opportunity and you see options and you execute on those options and you don't have to have a high net worth or you don't need to be like a director of UX, but it's a common pattern with all the high up designers that we've met is that these are people that were successful before they got into a outwardly successful role, like just their mindset and their practitioners that provides so much value that they they couldn't help but end up in a director position or a head of design position, you know? So like what we want to really focus on in this upcoming season is the mindset of a product practitioner. So we're not just focused on design, but I think the creative technologists, and I consider any, like a developer that works on a product, um, a product manager, they like we could all be creative technologists like we creatively solve problems but creativity is someone that is intentional and is aware of all the options that they have we're going to develop this idea over the season but um like you're looking for ways to make a product provide insane amounts of value and that means that you're not pushing out widgets you're pushing out high quality software and high quality product and it's making good ideas and it's also creating the systems that make those systems successful. I'm talking about uh, design ops, design systems, DevOps, like all the supporting structures that help these individual contributors really execute well. So kind of look at the whole product uh, development, like R and D cycle holistically, like how do you make good ideas happen? That's something I'd be very interested to know more about going into this next season. Yeah, I agree. I truly believe everyone's creative. And I think we want to explore that, you know, what mindset it takes, how do you execute ideas? The big hypothesis that we have going into it, you know, I think we kind of understand like a little bit more about like what, what your personal style is in design. Um, if you want to talk about someone that has like really good personal style and they've like transcended their role, like working with is like the director of Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's just Taika. He makes a movie, you want to watch it, or all these actors will work with him now because he's just, he's got this voice. You know, his movies have a certain, like, you know, any good uh, director has, they're Christopher Nolan, they're Taika Waititi. Um, Like, understanding that, like, it's, you're being you, but in a valuable way. You're being the most valuable version of yourself is how you develop your voice. So, like, I think we want to kind of start developing, like, branching out from this idea 
of being the most valuable person, like version of yourself into how do you start, how, what are the frameworks, the techniques and um, mindsets and product managers and tech leads um, so that it's more about creating value and just being yourself. That leads to a very like great career because now it's, oh, I want to work with Cam Sackett. You don't think like, oh, we need a, oh, well, I know, I know a designer. I know Cam because yeah. uh, I just want to work with him. You know, if you're listening to this and this concept resonates with you and you want to uh, interview with us, if you know someone that is just really good at generating value through the skill set of product, we'd love to hear referrals. We'd love to reach out to these people and interview them. And if you guys have an opinion, just let us know. Right now, we're very active on LinkedIn, but hopefully we could synthesize like a lot of these findings and really just provide value to you guys in the community so that you could live the design career that you love or the product management career doing the work that you enjoy doing and i think the big thing is not feeling like you have to learn everything or you have to prescribe to every trendy thing if you don't like design sprints don't do them because that's your style you know we look forward to the next season and we look forward to sharing what we find with you.